Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So this morning we are going to continue our series on the Holy Spirit. Um, It's been an incredible series. I've been um, challenged, I've been transformed, I've been moved. Um, This series on the Holy Spirit has been um, incredibly enlightening to me in my life, um, and, I, and I hope it's been to you as well. And we're coming to the last uh, two teachings on it, and so this week we're going to begin a two-part series um, on what is called the spiritual gifts, the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so we began this series talking about the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit's a person, that he's part of the Godhead. We've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit has come to be our helper. He's come to be our helper and guide in this life, and that he dwells within us. That the Holy Spirit is God with us, living inside of each and every one of us. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit comes, that he comes in, that he convicts us of our sin and unrighteousness, and that he has also come to transform us and to lead us into repentance, so that we might produce fruit that's for his glory and for his kingdom, that's for our benefit and for our joy. And most of the time, it is for the ultimate purpose of serving and loving our neighbor. And so, like I said, today we are going to begin this two-part series on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we acknowledge at the beginning of this series that um, in talking about the Holy Spirit, things might get a little bit uncomfortable. And as we go into this this two-part teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, I think this is a place where we tend to feel most uncomfortable because we're like, what, what does these gifts of the Holy Spirit mean? But when I look at these gifts of the Holy Spirit, they tend to be incredibly, incredibly practical. And if I'm going to be honest with you, I think the most uncomfortable part of the series has already passed. And that's with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the call to repent and to be transformed. To me, that is the most uncomfortable place to sit, to be confronted, to be told, hey, I want to bring new life and change to you. I want you to stop doing what you're doing. I want you to begin to live a life as I've created you to live. To me, that, that's more uncomfortable than what we're going to talk about these next two weeks. Um, but I think the reason why we think of <laughs> the gifts of the Holy Spirit as uncomfortable is because they are supernatural gifts. We can't deny that. They are supernatural gifts. And whenever we throw the word supernatural out, people begin to wonder, like, what do, you, what do you mean by supernatural? Like, what do you mean by that? And what I mean is that we serve a supernatural God. We serve a God who is not only in creation, holding all things together, but we also serve a God who stands outside of creation. And maybe you realize this, maybe you don't realize this, but we serve a supernatural God. And you might be thinking, well, that's, that's kind of obvious, Justin. But I don't think that we tend to think of our God as supernatural. I don't think I think of God as every day as like, oh, I serve this supernatural being that can do supernatural things in this created order. I don't think we think about him in that way. I don't think we give God kind of the credit that he deserves in that way. But in case you didn't realize, but our faith is based on kind of a God who is supernatural, who is above nature. And so let's take a, take a quick minute to do a quick survey of the Bible and see where our God is just awe-inspiringly supernatural. And the first is in the beginning. In the beginning, God creates. In the beginning, there's nothing. God speaks, and there's something. And he says that it's good. He says, let there be light, and there is light. 
And then from the next six days, God keeps talking and things keep appearing. Things keep being created. And that's a supernatural thing. So we are living and breathing objects of God's supernatural breath on this planet. Fast forward to the incarnation of God becoming man. The Holy Spirit comes and he conceives inside of Mary a son who is Jesus, and he is birthed. And so the supernatural God becomes natural, and he becomes one of us, and he walks among us. That's a supernatural event. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the supernatural birth of our God, who's become man around us. I don't think we think about Christmas in that way. That this is a, a supernatural event. That this is God directly interceding in the course of history, in the course of the timeline of our lives. Jump to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is crucified. He's laid down in the tomb. He's completely dead. He's not in a coma. He's not sleeping. He's not in shock. He's dead. And three days later, he comes back to life and the stone is rolled away. Now, people don't just come back to life. This celebration that we call Easter is a celebration of the supernatural event of our God coming and raising his son back to life for the hope that we too, we too will experience this, that we too, when Christ returns, will come back to life, that we too will be resurrected like him and with him in his new kingdom. And then finally we can go to the day of Pentecost, the day that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. This was an incredibly supernatural day as well. The disciples are hanging out and the Holy Spirit comes and and dwells within his disciples. People start speaking in languages that they didn't know. The gospel is being proclaimed in all different languages to all the people that are around in the city at the time. Peter, who was kind of a wimp, kind of a pansy, who denied Jesus' existence and his relationship with Jesus um, a couple weeks ago while Jesus is put to death. Peter is emboldened. And he's given new strength, and he stands up and he gives one of the most profound and historical gospel messages ever proclaimed. And in that proclamation of the gospel, 3,000 people repent and are baptized and come back into the family of Christ, and the church is born. And so we serve a supernatural God who's doing supernatural things, and he continues that work within us. He continues that work within our hearts, within our soul, and he does it through the Holy Spirit. And the reason why the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us is for God's glory. It's for our benefit and joy, and it's to serve our neighbor. I think this is how you can know if someone is using the gifts of the Holy Spirit well. It's the question of, does it bless God? Does it bring life and joy to the person that's using them? And does it bless others? I think that's one of the great litmus tests of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And if they're being used properly, does it bless God? Does it bring you joy? And does it bless others? I think if it doesn't bless God and if it doesn't bless others, it's probably not a gift of the Holy Spirit. You're probably not using it correctly. It's probably not from God. It's probably more something that's coming from our flesh. Because the heart of God is always to bless him and bring glory to his name and to bless others. And so today we're going to look at some of those gifts 
We're in the two-part series, so we're going to look at Romans 12. Next week, Shannon's going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so we're going to be in Romans 12. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it to Romans 12. It's going to be on the screen as well. We'll be in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. If you would read it along with me. It says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though who are many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion of our faith, if in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are a supernatural God, that you supernaturally transform us, that because of your spirit transforming and convicting and leading us in repentance, we can say, I was once this person, but because of you coming into our life, I've been transformed and made anew into this person over here. God, we thank you that you love us and that you've sent your son to die for us. God, we thank you that your son has given us your spirit and that your spirit has given us good gifts to bless one another. God, may we be found faithful in those gifts this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, now before we get into this gifts part, kind of in verses 6 through 8, I want to see what Paul's doing in the whole, kind of this 3 through 8 bit. And I think that Paul is answering kind of three vital questions that we have as human beings in our day-to-day -day lives, kind of um, <laughs> three questions that are kind of at the core of who we are. And those three questions that Paul is seeking to answer in this short passage is, number one, who am I? The second question is, where do I belong? And the third one is, what should I do? I mean, these are the questions that we ask day in and day out. Like, who am I? We ask questions of belonging. Where do I belong? Where should I be? Who are my people? And then finally, we ask, what should I be doing? Should I be spending my time here? Should I be spending my time there? Where, what should I be doing? And I believe that Paul gives us a decent framework in this passage of Romans to answer all three of those questions. And so the first question, who am I? We find the answer found in verse, chapter, verse 3. And it says this, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so what Paul is saying here is that we are called to live the life that we are created to live, that we are created to be, as God has always intended it to be. And I think that that's a good definition of humility. When we talk about humility, I think humility is living as God has always in, intended us to live. And the way that we have been called and the way that God has intended us to live is as his sons and daughters adopted into the kingdom. A couple weeks ago I was here and we talked about how the Holy Spirit advocates to us our sonship and our daughtership, and our identity that we have in Christ, that we have become a new creation, and that we no longer stand condemned. That is who we are. That is who God has intended us to live as. And so Paul gives us this instruction to say, don't think more highly of yourself than what you ought. 
And the reason why he gives us this is that because when we do this, when we tend to have prideful thoughts, when we tend to think of ourselves as more important than what we really are, we often place our own values, our own opinions, and our own decisions higher than what God has placed them to be. We often misstep at this place. We normally step outside of the boundaries of what God has created for us to live in. And it is in in this place that we end up sinning. It is in this place that we see Adam and Eve sin. Adam and Eve are doubt the goodness of God. God has placed them in the garden as he's intended them to live free. He's given them one commandment. He has proven that he is good. And they doubt his goodness and they step outside of that. And they sin. They take the fruit. And this is what you and I do when we sin. We doubt the goodness of God and we step outside of the world. We think of ourselves higher than we ought to be. We become our own gods. We become right in our own eyes. And we misstep. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and helps because the Holy Spirit is our helper. And he comes in and he brings conviction to those places that we misstep. And he calls us to repentance and he, he wants to bring us back to himself and realign us in humility Realign us to the life that he has called us to live and to be. So that's why the Holy Spirit does this work of conviction and repentance and transformation. It's to bring us back to this place that we belong with him as sons and daughters. Now on the other side of this thinking too highly of ourselves, there's the other side of the coin. And it's this perception that we are complete and utter failures. There's this perception that there is no longer any love left for me that the love that our God has is conditional, and I just know. I just know that God has run out of love for me. It is this attitude that we are condemned, that we are unworthy, that we are worthless, and that there is nothing left in this world that can save us. But this thinking, this living, this is not how God created us to live either. He didn't create us to live as dirt. He didn't create us to live as condemned creatures. Paul tells us that he sent Christ so that we would be set free, so that we might be saved, so that there would be no condemnation. So we need to begin to live out that identity as sons and daughters who are no longer condemned, and that we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. When we look at this passage, it says, speak, it says to think with sober judgment in faith. Now, I don't know about you, but this word sober in our language often has this connotation of like thinking sad, or kind of defeated or depressed. Like, let's think soberly about this. Um, but I think that that's a wrong connotation if your brain kind of automatically goes there because uh, that's, not, that's not sober, that's somber. Really kind of close, sober, somber. The, he doesn't say have somber judgment of yourself, but he says have sober judgment of yourself. And this word sober means reasonably. He says think reasonably about yourself. So don't think too highly, but don't think too lowly, but think Reasonably, And the Holy Spirit advocates to us what it is to think reasonably about ourselves. And that is that we are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Of the supernatural God who has given us supernatural gifts to bless others. And so it's by this grace that we become humble. That we become sober-minded. And that we begin to live reasonably. Better put, because of who we are, it is reasonable for us to go out and live humble lives, to go out and live according to the gifts that God has given us, to go out and live blessing and serving others. This is who we are. 
And this is the answer to that question. Who are we? We are sons and daughters who are called to live rightly as God has always intended us to be. The second question, where do I belong? Paul says, for we are in one body, as we have many members, and all the members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though who are many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. So Paul tells us, where do we belong? He says, we belong in a body. We have been given a body. You and I have been given a body. We have physical bodies. But he says that's not enough. He says that we've been given a body so that we can go and be a part of a bigger body, a supernatural body. And this supernatural body that he's calling us to is the church who's bound together by Jesus Christ. And so we are accepted daughters and sons of the living king. And we've been brought together into a greater family. And so when we're adopted by God, we also inherit adopted brothers and sisters from all around the world. We have brothers and sisters from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue around the world. And this morning when we gather together, we don't just gather together as Damascus Road, but we gather together as the supernatural body that is the church that has gathered for centuries on Sunday to worship him. And so there are people that woke up probably 12 hours ago, 13 hours ago, worshiping God. And we continue that worship. We continue that prayer with them this morning. And so when we pray, we don't pray alone. We pray with the body of Christ. When we worship, we don't worship alone, but we worship with the body of Christ. I say this often, and it is just that in this faith, in this Christian faith, we were never designed to do this alone. We were never designed to do this alone. Yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But because of that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we also have a personal and intimate relationship with everyone else in this room and everyone else that calls themselves a member of the church. We were never designed to go rogue. And so we need you. The church needs you. And you need the church. We need each other. Paul says we are belonging to one another. And the Holy Spirit is bringing you into this new family, this new family of belonging. I know that the church is broken. I know that the church has not always been a safe place where you could come in and feel like you belong. And that's a sin that we need to confess. It's a sin that we need to repent from. And it's a sin that we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and bring transformation. Because that is what the church is called to be. The church is called to be a place of belonging for all people, of all nations. It's called a refuge. We need to be a refuge and a shelter for people. And we've not always done that. But it's our hope and our prayer that as we are transformed as individuals, that the church would continue to be transformed and that our neighborhoods would be transformed. That we continue to grow in this image that the that Jesus has for his church. And that we would be a place where people would find their belonging because they would find Christ here and they would find a family here even when they have family nowhere else. And so that is the vision for the church. This is where we belong. So it's who we are, where we belong. And then finally the question is, what should we do? What should we do with these things that God has called us to do? 
And <laughs> this leads us to the gifts. So we have an identity as adopted sons and daughters. We belong to this church, to this body that is called to serve one another. And the beautiful thing about the serving one another and this transformation that happens in our lives is that, we, especially as we've talked about transformation last week, we talked about transformation the way that the Holy Spirit comes to free us from sin, to draw us closer to Jesus Christ, and to, <laughs> um, I can't remember the third point, but those are, those are the two that I remember. But he does these things, not just so that we can benefit, but he does them so that others can benefit. I don't know about you, but I've been in a place of transformation in my life where the Holy Spirit has been transforming me, and I've been blessed by it, I've found benefit in it, but there's still something lacking. There's still something unfulfilled. And it was because I lost sight of the vision that God has for bringing transformation into our lives. He brings transformation not just so that we can benefit, but primarily for transforming others that are around us. And so I think some of us, we are in this process of being transformed, and we're like, oh, I like the benefits. This is great. This is awesome. And then it just it starts to like fizzle out. It becomes unfulfilling. And so we have to ask this question, why is God transforming me? Who is he wanting to transform because of the transformation that he's doing in me? And just know that when you're transformed, the church is transformed. And know when the church is transformed is when the neighborhood is going to be transformed. And so this brings us to what we should do. We've been given gifts. Paul says that we have been given many gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So we all don't have the same gift. Thus the greater need for one another. We all need each other because we all have different gifts. And we're going to see how we need them and how they serve one another. And so it says, let us use them if prophecy in proportion of our faith, if in service and service, in teaching the one who teaches, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so what we need to see is that we've all been given these different gifts. And we need each other in them. And it is our duty to step into them and to use them as the Spirit sees fit in our lives. And so what you'll see sometimes is that sometimes these gifts, you don't even know that you have them. Some of these gifts you'll have for a time period. When you look at Peter, when the Holy Spirit came on him at Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit came, he was hiding, he was afraid, he was filled with some hope because he had seen Christ, but he had left him. They were left with, with kind of nothing. They were to, to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Then, bam, the Holy Spirit comes and he's given this supernatural gift to speak boldly to people around them. Now, Peter was a little bit of a bold dude before, before Jesus was crucified. But then he kind of got checked. But then when the Holy Spirit came, it's like all of that boldness and all of that preparation that Jesus had been doing, it all clicked. Now the Holy Spirit allowed him to step into this gifting in a way that Peter could have never done on his own. Because every point, up until that point, when Peter stepped into his boldness, guess who was there to correct him? Jesus. He's like, hey, not yet, Peter. Not yet, Peter. You're just a little off. But when the Spirit comes... Everything starts clicking. 
And it starts to become not for the benefit of Peter, not so that Peter can look good, but for the benefit of others. And on that day, 3,000 were saved. And so when we look at these gifts, I want us to have that mindset that, one, you might not know which gifts you have. Two, you might be able to say, I think, I think God has gifted me in some of these things. We're going to talk about how you know if you have which specific gift you have. But then also know that a gift, or a gift that you think that you would probably never have, don't be surprised if someday, in some moment, in some moment of need in your life, the Holy Spirit just comes in and says, boom, right now, I need you to be a leader. And you're like, I've never wanted to lead in your life. He's like, right now, leader with zeal, go. You know? And you'll be able to go, and you'll be able to do that supernaturally. And people will be like, I can't believe the way you just stepped up and led. I've never seen you as a leader. I've never seen a leader qualification in your life. And they're like, yeah, Holy Spirit. And we're doing this for others. We're doing this so that other people can trans be transformed. So these are how the gifts of the Holy Spirit work a little bit. And so I want to talk about the first one. We're just kind of go going, to, going to go through six of them um, that are listed here. And so we're going to go through them kind of quickly. Um, and if you have questions about them, I encourage you to, to talk to me, talk to Tony. Um, there's a lot of people in this church that will be able to kind of lead us and grow us through these spiritual gifts as we um, grow in this life together. And so the first one is prophecy. He mentions prophecy. Now, oftentimes when we think of prophecy, we think of fortune telling. We think of like, hey, can you tell the future? Gift of prophecy. That is not what this word means. And that's not the intent of this. Now, yes, in the Old Testament, there were people who got a word from the Lord and who, who spoke that over people. But guess what? They had to be really confident about the things that they spoke, especially concerning the Spirit, especially concerning the future, because if they were wrong, the commandment was to put them to death. Like, that's a pretty high standard. Like, if I'm going to speak about the future and know that if I'm wrong, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, um, you know, I'm going to make sure that that's really what God said. And I'm not going to abuse that gift of prophecy in that way. Now, when we look in the New Testament and we see the word prophecy used, it's often meant as a way of proclaiming, of proclaiming the goodness and the will of God. And so somebody that has the, the gift of prophecy, I would say it's somebody who can speak the gospel truth directly into people's lives, oftentimes in a conversation. Now, sometimes it happens standing up front. There are a lot of times pastors are seen to have kind of this gift of prophecy to be able to encourage and speak the gospel truth into people's lives publicly. But I don't want you guys to think of like, oh, if I'm going to have the gift of prophecy, I must be a pastor and have a, a stage where I speak from. Instead, what I want you to see is that if you have the gift of prophecy, God has gifted you with the ability to speak into people's lives and to speak life into people's lives and to be able to come alongside people and see where they're at, to see where God is moving, and proclaim to them and reveal to them what God is doing in their life. Anyone have a conversation with someone like that? You're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going in my life. You go, you talk to somebody, and they're like, well, what about these things? And you're like, I've never seen that before. That's around and concerning this gift of prophecy. They're able to proclaim the goodness of God in our life when we are unable to to see it. And so we need prophets. We need prophets in our church. We need people that can go proclaiming the goodness of who our God is inside our lives everywhere. We need them in community groups. We need them in backyards. We need them at supper club. We need them on the shop floor. 
Your coworker who doesn't know Christ needs to know that Christ loves them, that Christ is doing a work in them, that Christ wants to save them, that Christ wants good for them in their lives in the middle of their struggle. We need prophets to go forth from this church. And so maybe God is gifting you with the gift of prophecy to see things that other people just don't see and to point them to God's truth and encourage them and that it would go and bear fruit. The next gift, which is often associated with prophecy, is teaching. Um, but I believe that the role of the prophet is to prepare the heart and the soul and the spirit of the person to get to the place where they can kind of be handed off to the teacher. And so the prophet comes in and, and reveals things to them, and they, they're like, oh my gosh, God is moving in these ways, and, and now what am I supposed to do about it? And they're like, here, go to the teacher. And the teacher's like, here, here's the word of God. Let me explain it to you. Let me show you what God has hoped for you, has intended for you, and let me begin to explain those things to you. And so we need teachers. We need teachers in our homes. We need teachers in our community groups. We need teachers to come alongside people and disciple them and grow them in the truth that the word has. We need them in our children's ministry. We need teachers in our student ministry. We need teachers to go forth out of this church, encouraging one another. One of the greatest teachers in the New Testament that we find are an incredible example of this gift of teaching on the spot is found in Philip. There's this guy from Ethiopia and he's reading this text from Isaiah. And he kind of mumbles to himself, like, how am I supposed to know what this says? And God tells Philip, hey, go talk to that guy. And Philip comes running beside the chariot. The chariot is going down the road. Philip gets the kind of the supernatural running ability to run beside. And he's like, hey, what are you reading there? He's like, Isaiah, I don't understand it. He's like, they stop the chariot. Philip gets inside. He's like, here, let me tell you about this thing that's going on in Isaiah. The Ethiopian eunuch's like, oh, that's pretty cool. He's like, hey, there's some water over there. Um, it seems like, from what you're telling me, I'm supposed to get baptized. Why don't we do that? Philip's like, yeah, let's do that. The man gets baptized on the spot, goes, plants a church in Africa, one of the first churches in Africa, because God supernaturally gave the gift of teaching at that time when it was needed. And so we need teachers. And I know, I know even in my own life when I open the Word and I am a teacher and, and I know that when you open up the Word in your life, there are places where we are like, what is it saying? And we need people with the gift of teaching to be able to go to and be like, hey, what's it saying? And so in our lives, we get to play both the role of the Ethiopian eunuch that's like, what is this? But we're also called to be like Philip and say, this is what the Word of God says, and this is how we are supposed to live, and this is how we are, are supposed to respond. And so know that we need teachers in every aspect so that we can be transformed and begin walking in the Spirit. I mean, that's what happens with the Ethiopian eunuch. The next gift is exhortation. This is a gift of encouragement. Um, <clears throat> and so I think this gift of encouragement can be packaged in a number of different ways. First, you know that somebody has the gift of encouragement if they are that person that just kind of can come beside you and lift you up no matter what's going on in your life. They're that person that believes in you, that believes in Christ in you when you have almost zero faith of Christ in you at all. That's that person of encouragement. And I hope that we would all know somebody that has the gift of encouragement or that God would, by his power and by his grace, bring somebody of encouragement into our life to lift us up out of the pit. 
when we don't have enough strength to believe in the goodness of ourselves, to see Jesus in our own lives. And so we need people of encouragement. We need people that will say, I'm going to step into the mess with you, and I'm going to see all the good because of who Christ is, and because of who Christ is in you, and I'm going to call you out of that. The second way I think people encourage is that you have this encourager um, who kind of calls you on your junk and doesn't let you get away from it, but yet doesn't beat you up with it. He calls you on it for the purpose of growing you and encouraging you, and you actually leave lighter from that meeting than when you began. And so one of the men in my lives that does this is Tony Tucci. I know I can go to Tony Tucci with just about anything and be like, hey man, here's my junk. And he's like, yeah, that is junk. And I'm like, thank you. Can I have another? <laughs> he's like, sure. <laughs> but every time I meet with Tony Tucci, I don't leave beat up and smacked around. I might get smacked around, but I don't leave with bruises. I leave feeling lightened and refreshed and encouraged. And so if you have this gift of encouragement, I want to ask you this question. I think one of the ways that you can know if you have this gift of encouragement, you can ask this question, is how are people's lives after they leave? Are they more beat up than when they came in? Or are they lightened? Because I know some of us, we're like, oh, I love calling people on their stuff. You know? There's a saying that if you are the most excited person to call somebody on their stuff, you're probably not the person that's supposed to call them on their stuff. But if the Holy Spirit gives you the strength and gives you the words to say and the encouragement to say when it comes to calling somebody on their stuff, make sure that that you know that it's the Holy Spirit when they walk away lightened, emboldened, blessed, encouraged. That is the gift of encouragement. And we need encouragers. We, we need encouragers who, maybe, maybe you're an encourager because you love to make stationery and you love to make cards. If God has put that, that spirit of craft and of card making into your life, maybe he's calling you to go home, make some cards, and just start praying. And God, who, who, give me a list of names that I should send these cards to and write encouragement in them. I don't know about you, but some of the greatest encouragement that I've ever received in my life came in the form of a note. And I think... God has blessed some of us with eloquent words, with eloquent craft to send encouragement to one another. Maybe your passion is cooking and you love hosting people. Maybe you're like, man, I can't remember the last time I had somebody over to my house, but I love to cook and I love to host. Maybe you need to go home and you need to pray. Who should I invite over and who should I share a meal with? Second place that I've been most encouraged is having people invite me over to their home and share an incredible meal with me. If you want to know a fast and easy way to encourage me, just buy me lunch. I'll, for real, it's awesome. Love it. Um, you know, encouragement will go a long ways. And when you sit down and think about it, it doesn't actually require a whole lot. And know that the Holy Spirit will give you a list of names longer than you can imagine. And you'll be like, all right, got to get to work. Got to get to work. Because we all need encouragement. We all need to be lifted up. Service. We have this gift of service. I was talking with one of my student ministry leaders, uh, Stephen Flannel, and he said, you know how I know that I like to be a good helper, um, how I like to serve? He's like, I don't ever want to be the guy. He's like, but I want to be the guy that the guy can count on. And I think that that's how you know if you have the spiritual gift of service and help. You don't want to be the guy, but by golly, you want to be the guy that the guy can count on. 
And you just walk into a room and you see a need and you just meet a need. You don't do it because you need praise. You don't do it because you need accolades. You don't do it because it even needs to be recognized. You just, you see a need and it bothers you that it's not being met. And so you just start doing it. That's how you can know that you have this gift of service and helping. Next gift is this gift of giving. Now this kind of goes beyond regular gift giving. We are all called to be generous. We are all called to give. We're all called to give offerings to our God. And it is by God's grace and God's blessings that he uses that our financial offerings today to bless others. Because in the Old Testament, guess when people brought offerings to God? Guess what it turned into? It turned into ash. Like they brought their animal, they brought their finances, and they lit it on fire. And that was the offering to God. We live in this new creation, this new covenant, where we are blessed to be able to bring our financial resources, to bring generosity uh, to our God, and he's able to use it to bless others. We don't light 20 bills on fire here. We put it to work for God's kingdom. But this gift of giving goes beyond that. This gift of giving and this gift of generosity is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that works hard for the purpose and the end of giving and blessing others with the goodness of who God is. These are people who give when it is uncomfortable, no matter their economic status. And so oftentimes we think of like, oh, people that are blessed with this gift of giving, they must be rich because they've got a lot to give. And what I do find is that people that, who are, have been blessed with the gifts to make a lot of money, they're often challenged with this gift to give generously. But I don't want you to think that it's just for those people, that it's just for the rich. There's going to be times where God calls us supernaturally to give in faith, where we don't see the next step, where we don't see the next check, and trust that God is going to use it to bless others. And this is this gift of supernatural giving. And I just want to say, never doubt what God can do with your generosity. My life has been transformed by some people that I've given well beyond anything I could ever imagine in generosity. And it witnesses to the gospel to me every day, this generosity that I'm shown. So when you show generosity, it teaches and it proclaims the gospel. It teaches the heart of our, who our God is, who wants to give generously. There is leadership. We've been given this this uh, gift of leadership. Now, this gift of leadership is not just, I get to be the guy. But this gift of leadership is, you get to be the guy that serves the guy that you can count on. That's what leadership is. Leadership is having this gift to come under people and to enable, encourage, and equip them for the task that God has called the entire body to. And so the goal, the, the gift of the leader is to have vision, but it's also to be incredibly generous and to get below those who they are serving, and to give them all the resources and all the encouragement and all the power that they need to get the job done and to do it well. And then finally, there's the gift of mercy. And this gift of mercy, I think, is one of the most profound. Because this gift of mercy oftentimes goes right against the grain of our natural tendencies. Because our natural tendencies is to want to give punishment, to give wrath, to give judgment. And these people of mercy, these people of mercy, they offer forgiveness. They offer grace. They offer peace. These are the people that are on the prayer team. 
So like when you go and you receive prayer, know that that person is a person of mercy. They're not here to condemn you. They're not here to judge you. They're not here to beat you down. But instead, they're just a person that exudes peace and grace. You guys know these people? We need these people. These are the people who, when the world is darkest in our own lives, they can come into our lives and give us a glimpse of hope, a glimpse of light, a glimpse of love that comes from the Father. And so we've been given these gifts, these gifts of leadership, these gifts of giving, these gifts of mercy, these gifts of teaching, these gifts of encouragement. We've all been given them, and they're diversely spread out among this church. And we need them. I need them. I need you to have them because I need you in my life. And I'm not speaking too highly, but I think we need each other in this. We need one another in this life. And so God has called us to this body to be transformed and to continue to grow. And so the question is, is how do I know if I have this gift? How do I know? And Paul tells us that it's really kind of just in the doing it. It's kind of you just step into it. He's like, to the teacher, judge the way that he teaches. To the prophet, judge the way that he does his prophecy. To the one who gives, judge how he gives. If he does it cheerfully. To the one who has mercy, does he do it cheerfully? And so that's kind of the first litmus test. It's like, how do you do these things? The second one is just ask God. God, what are you calling me today? What are you supernaturally empowering me to go and do today? Because the gift might change from day to day. But there also might be some gifts that you'll have for longer seasons than others. But we need to ask God, God, what do you have for me today? What is our daily bread for today? And then if you're still wondering, I encourage you to ask others. One of the greatest questions that you can ask, especially in this community where we belong to one another, where we are here for each other, where we are here to lift each other up, just ask, what do you see in me? What gifts do you see in me, looking at this list? Where do you think I belong? Like, I'm just, I'm just wanting some confirmation. Because there's some people in this room where I can say, you are definitely a helper. I mean, there's people in this room where I can say, you are definitely a prophet, at least for this season. There are people where I can say, you are definitely a teacher. And so begin to ask people, what do you see in me? What gift do you believe that God has given me? And remember, these gifts are not for our own glory. As soon as we begin to say, I'm a prophet, I'm a teacher, I'm the helper you can count on always. Like, as soon as it becomes about us, like, we miss it. We miss it. These gifts are not for us. They are definitely here to transform us, but they are most importantly to transform the lives around us and to bless others. That is the biggest vision of God, is that the nations will be blessed by his people. And so we need to go out and do that and know that these gifts are measured by their fruit. That's how we keep them in check. And that's how we know if something is from the Holy Spirit or not. So does it bring peace? Does it bring life? Does it bring joy? Does it bring hope? Does it bring love? If it's not bringing these things, then know that it's not from the Holy Spirit, no matter how loud somebody says that it is. Because the Holy Spirit is kind He is gentle. He is humble. And we should act out that spirit in the same way. And so as a church, I want to encourage you this morning to step out into your supernatural gift. Know that each and every one of you has been gifted supernaturally by our God in a profound way. 
that you've been redeemed, that you've been given a new identity, that you've been given a new family, a new place of belonging, that you've been given a new purpose, and that is to go and bless everyone that God brings in your path with these gifts. And so we need you to step into that place to encourage one another. Your family needs you to step into your spiritual gifts so that they can be blessed. Your coworkers need you to step into your spiritual gifts so that they can be blessed. Our neighborhood needs you to step into their spiritual gifts so that they can be transformed. And so I encourage you this morning as we go to go confident. Go confident in who God has called you to be, a son and daughter of the king. To look forward with expectancy that God is going to bring transformation in your life. And look forward to seeing how that transformation is going to transform others in ways that you could never dream. So that the Holy Spirit might produce fruit and bless those that are around us. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these gifts. We thank you for the ways that you empower us in ways that we would never imagine. We thank you that you are not a God that is bound by natural law, that's not bound by the brokenness of our own heart, but God, that you have come to set us free, that you have come to give us freedom, that you have come to give our lives joy and purpose and meaning. God, I thank you that because of you, we can stand confidently answering the question of who am I, where we belong, and what we have been called to do. God, may you give us the strength and the courage and the grace to walk out these gifts that you have so richly given us this week. In your name we pray. Amen.